The self-indulgent podcast where we talk about whatever we want under the guise of an academic film podcast. I'm your host, Mon. And I'm your co-host, Nick. And today we're being joined by a very special man whose appearance on this podcast will force me to redo the maths in our bio because I'm an idiot. Our special guest is Elliot Vogel. Hello, welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you for having me. I've been a a keen watcher so far, so I'm excited to be on and... uh... I don't understand how you watch a podcast. It's the first time I've done a podcast like this, so you got to cut me a little bit of slack here. That's all good. That's all good, man. Um, it's good to know that you're a watcher um, because you can't watch a podcast. <laughs> you you know what I mean. Listen, listen to watch up. Yeah. I, I watch the memes and shit posting and I listen to the podcast. True, man. True, man. Thank you so much. So, um, we're just give us a little intro about yourselves. Yeah, so my name is Elliot Vogel. I am doing a Bachelor of Media Communication and Communication Design with the two lovely hosts of this podcast. You guys? Woo! I'm not doing design, though. Ah, well, you're, <laughs> you're doing, you're doing one of the two things. Yeah, yeah. neither can I. You think that <laughs> I, I, drawing has not been my strong suit at all. But it is what it is. Anyway. It um, is what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I met Mon and Nick probably, it would have been like three years ago at this point. Uh, Wow. With uh, varying first impressions. (laughs) Varying first impressions. Yeah. So, oh my God, like my first impression of you wasn't the greatest, wasn't it? It was, it was quite bad. I thought you were a creep. I was like, this guy's so creepy. Can you get him out of here? Like, I don't like him. And things happened and i remember you sent a photo of your meat hey guys it's what? not his meat it's not his meat nah, i mean that's a very meat, like... odd way of just no i i was <laughs> what do you mean his meat though what was... no, no, no it wasn't his meat it was like it was like cooking meat like food oh, thank god jesus <laughs> yeah no 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 that that was a, a weird way of describing it but it was more along <laughs> the lines of uh i was talking to one of my friends at the time, uh, who was asking about what well, we talked about cooking for a while. And I really like cooking. That's one of my hobbies. So mm-hmm. that night I was mm-hmm. cooking and I can't remember, it was like a steak or something. And I was really yeah. proud of it. So I sent her a, a picture because we've been talking about it all day, thinking it'd be like, a, oh, you know, look at what I've cooked and all that. And, you know, it was, it was fun. And, and then like two years later, you tell me the story about how, your first impression of of me was how you guys both thought I was creepy because I sent a picture of me to cross. I never yeah. said that. I don't think I ever saw that meat picture. I, I, no, that was that meat picture was for my friend who I was I was friends with her, and then she told me, and then I was like, oh, oh, that's really creepy. Who sends a picture of like food, like raw meat? Mon, why is it that whenever you're telling other people the story of how you meet your friends, you always frame it in, like, the worst way possible? Like, whenever you're telling the story of when you first noticed me in earnest, you always go back to the time that I was just raging about, like, Thanos and being obsessed with his dick. Why do you always tell that version of the story? that's all I remember. I mean, is she wrong, though? Am I I wrong? 
Yeah, I don't think she's wrong about that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, I don't know. We just kind of had a class together. That's that's the story. What, what class? What, it was I, one of our media it, it classes. Probably, um, and yeah. we had like an hour-long break between the lecture and the toot. And we were the only, I, you were the only person who I knew in that class. And so it's like, oh my god, I vaguely recognize him from a first semester class. And so like you sat next to me. And we just became friends, and I never hated mm. you. Okay, I'm not Mon. <laughs> I like you. How you made an emphasis of I've never I, hated. I don't you. know. I thought you talked oh, yeah. a bit much, but that's about as negative as I ever thought of you. So, Elliot, mm-hmm. let's kind of talk about your experience with film. So, let's kind of talk about why you're here in this podcast, and you're here to talk about. Your experience being in the film industry. What do you mean? He's only here because he was the first one in the group chat to respond. (laughs) That's true. That that is also (laughs) very true. I I saw the opportunity and I took it. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about your experience with film itself. So do you classify yourself kind of like a cinephile or? Well, all right. If I go way back briefly, Mm -hmm. um, I've always just kind of loved film as... I would hope mm-hmm. most film students do just generally love it. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd always been interested and passionate about making films and being in the process of making films. Uh, I did film units at school throughout the different schools I went to. And it was only until uh, Wesley College, which is the school I went to in Melbourne, where they didn't offer film studies as a IB subject, even though they had the capabilities to do so and... I got enough people to sign something to say that we could fill a class out because Wesley didn't think there'd be enough interest. All that aside, they still didn't run it. Anyway, that's that's a story for another day. But um, after that, I got a <clears throat> I got an opportunity to join a film and work on it called The Wheel. And uh, leading up to this point, I did a lot of script reading for a company called Sunjive. So they would send me a number mm. of scripts, and then I'd read them and write reviews and send them back and. One of the scripts that I read that seemed promising at the time was uh, called The Wheel. Uh, It was an action sci-fi film, and it had a lot of interesting elements to it. There was a lot of exciting prospects in it, uh, a lot of ability to create an interesting sci-fi, which is kind of difficult to do in, you know, modern day times, because if you look at sci-fi, you either have to have an insane budget or you have to have an insane vision. So it is very much director dependent. Uh, but yeah, so I worked on behind the scenes in that film for a while, and then I got the opportunity to work as a production assistant, and then I just kind of went on this eight and a half week journey where I did pre-production for kind of three and a half weeks, and then just went full into production for uh, five weeks that we shot it. It was a very fast film, in all honesty. It shows. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, it, I mean, there's a lot of elements of the film that I like. There are a lot of elements that didn't get in. There are a lot of things that I came up with that got put in the final film, which is quite telling because, you know, I was 18. I had my birthday during the shoot, so I, would, I was 18, 19. Wow. Um, I was young. I didn't really know that much, and they were taking my word over the people who they hired for the actual positions. Iconic. So that's actually that's actually really crazy because they're taking eighteen-year-olds' word compared to like people that who are in the industry. It kind of shows these people 
it kind of shows that these people don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, and well, honestly, the times that they didn't take your word, as we've heard before, um, didn't turn out so well. Uh, do you want to tell us about that poster, buddy? All right. So, in terms of, I'll just say the thing that I did, the things I did for the film, I was hired as a essentially unpaid worker. I, I had my contract was under a volunteer contract. Um, but I didn't really want to be paid. It was the experience that I was after because, hey, I get to work on a full feature film. That sounds fun. You had some mm -hmm. decent names. You know, you had David Arquette, who was a decent, like, B, low A grade actor. He's done some good stuff. He's, he's a decent actor, although not great on the mm -hmm. film. And, um, yeah. But when I was working on the film, I ended up doing a lot of different roles. I worked on the Outside of working in the production department as a production assistant, I also helped the director and assistant director. Uh, I helped them with understanding and editing the script as we were going. I helped the design department, the art department, uh, the graphics department. Uh, I was in charge of quite a major element, which was setting up the holograms. If you ever watched the film, mm. I was the one who had to set each of those holograms up. So wow. there was a lot of different roles that I did within the film and I was loving it because I just got to do pretty much everything. And it meant that normally there's a hierarchy in film. So a production assistant would talk to kind of the, uh, someone in the middle of the assistant, uh, in the middle of the production team, I should say. And then they would talk to the head of production and the head of production would talk to the uh, director. And that's normally how things go from all areas like, a stunt guy would talk to the uh, stunt coordinator who would talk to the director. Um, but because my role was so multifaceted and I just kind of worked in everything, it meant that I could avoid a lot of these and just speak to uh, powerful figures whenever I wanted, really, because they'd more than often ask me to talk to them about things. Um, wow. But yeah, so there are a few things that I had no influence with, such as, which is the most annoying thing for me, which is the logo. So, first and foremost, mm, the wheel was called the wheel. Let's talk about the logo. The wall. The wall. The wheel originally was called the wheel, and then it changed to the Soldier Initiative 2099 or something along those lines. Um, first of all, I think it's a very stupid name. I don't really see the appeal mm -hmm. of it, but that's beside the point. You know, if other people like the name, sure. Uh, but originally when it was the wheel, they had a logo, which was interesting. It was this, I, uh, the two E's were inverted. Oh, one of the E's was inverted, I should say. So it was kind of, uh, connected to the other one and it formed a wheel. And there was an animation where that, like, would spin. And it was an interesting animation, sure. But when you looked at it, because the two E's connected, it looked like an O. Uh, especially because they're kind of <laughs> at a 45 degree, the top and the bottom of the E. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, as, as I, I studied typography for a bit, so this irks me even more now. Um, but it yes. looked like an O. It looked like a fancy O. So the wheel became the wall. And as much as I like <laughs> the name the wheel, the wall isn't really oh that God. like, you know, you're not, you're not thinking like, ah, oh, yeah, I got uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and then I got the wall. You know, these are two classic names right here. You know, it's, it's oh, just a little... Oh, my God. It was pretty tragic. And I I said to the executive producers, because um, I was working under them, uh, Sanjay's quite a small company, I told them, you need to change it because it looks like the wall. And they were like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's nothing, you know. 
Yeah, we, we see the wheel, we see the wheel, that's all that matters. And then when the trailer came out and people started saying, oh, it looks like the wall, it looks like the wall, well, a few weeks later we changed to 2099 Soldiers Initiative. I'm going to say, so. but the wheel is actually a pretty okay title in of itself. And then mm. 2099 Soldier Protocol or Initiative or something was just so bad. It just feels like a video game, like a really bad Call of Duty video game title. Honestly, so does the new poster as well. Mm. The one where it's just David Arquette just smack bang in the middle. He doesn't really do much in the film he's i think he i can't remember because i saw it when it came out the first the premiere night uh, <laughs> guys i think he's like a, he's one of the scientists yeah yeah he's a, yeah he was a scientist yeah so yeah he's not even the discount bucky barnes look alike who is the main character <laughs> okay can i just talk about the movie the movie is like literally like a discount like if winter soldier was a movie this would be the movie actually yeah i'm just saying like if, if there was a movie Think about that. it. Except, yeah. like, replace I, the legs with the missing arm. Yeah, the legs with the missing arm. And then he's, like, forced to be in all of this, like, experimentation and science. And then he's trying to break out. He can't. And you replace Kayla with Steve. Um, basically, <laughs> the it's interest, the Winter America. Soldier movie. <laughs> I was watching this movie and I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is literally, if, if Bucky Barnes had his own solo film, it would be this film. But better. <laughs> Yeah. And more shirtless scenes. Also, more budget. I mean, the more film budget, didn't have the yeah. world's biggest budget, but it was. I mean, I'll, I'll say the script itself wasn't bad. When when mm, I read mm. scripts, um, I kind of have this thing where I try to envision the shot in my head as I read. Uh, yeah. Because scripts are quite descriptive with how shots look, and they give obviously they give room for directors to decide how a shot's going to look. But it means that it sets up whether it's interior, exterior, light or dark. It sets up what's happening in the scene. So I think it's easy enough for someone to look at that and go, oh, I can kind of guess what that scene might look like. And I had these scenes in my head that looked really interesting. And there was a lot of... And obviously, I'm not a director, so I thought, like, the scenes I have in my head would be even better when you get a proper director on board. Um, but as the team started uh, working on it and unfolding and taking all these different shots and doing these different things, it was... You know, as you watched it unfold, it just didn't have that spark. There are plenty of sci-fi films that don't have huge budgets that still look amazing. And I think that there are a lot of the setups look fine. I think a lot of the graphics and whatnot aren't bad, but I just think a combination of the acting and the direction they went with the uh, actors, a direction they went with the visuals and the color grading, it just... It just felt like a, a B-grade sci-fi film, and that's about it. Which is sad. Because you were there basically start to finish, and the end product is... Well, critics don't really like it, neither do audiences. So, at what point did you kind of get the vibe that the end of what the end quality of this product would be? Like, at what point in the production of the film do you get... Do you sort of see oh, it's going to be this type of film, it's going to look like this, it's going to be this sort of quality. I mean, you always, especially if it's a creative project that you've worked on, you always want to be optimistic with uh, how you look at a film and how it comes out at the end. And it's, I mean, it's a, when you make a student film versus when you make a full feature film, uh, even though I wasn't, you know, I have my name on it, so obviously I don't want, I don't want my name to be touched. But you know, it's, it's less than that, it's more that... I don't do creative things, and I never have done creative things for my own 
enjoyment, but more so that other people can get enjoyment from it. Um, and my whole thing was, even if I didn't like the film, I thought that there could have been a big enough audience that would have liked it. And uh, things that I did was, um, when I was working on the film, I probably watched it maybe five or six times because I had to do... Uh, I forget the exact name of it, but essentially I listened through the entire film soundtrack and made and wrote down where each song played so that uh, they could properly pay for the music they used. The music, which I thought was pretty decent, I didn't think it was anything special, but it was that sci-fi, Hans Zimmer-inspired stuff uh, along with some nice um, cold sounds for the more icy scenes. It was I thought the music was quite good, but when I was watching the film, there were a few things that really just stood out to me. The first was that the weapons didn't look real. Uh, and that really bothered me because if you're going to have swords and you're going to have sh uh, batons and you're going to have uh, like electricity and prods and whatnot, I, I feel like you really need those to be sold. And swords especially because obviously we used prop swords and they weren't, you know, if you look at films like lord of the rings and you look at their prop swords they're actually essentially real swords but these swords were plastic ones that would kind of fold out and whatnot and while on set obviously they did their job when i was looking at the final product i thought they were going to put more cgi on it and really kind of change it to look like steel but it, it just didn't really come off it just looked like plastic and when i started seeing that there were cool effects but it just didn't have the same impact that I thought it would. And then the last thing was the acting. A lot of people look at it and think that it was very uh, wooden. There wasn't much emotion in it. But in the end, that was kind of partially what the charm was. Because it was in the future. It was in this world where there was a specific uh, chemical that almost completely took away your emotion. And so the scientists, one of them, uh, David Arquette's character... Uh, would abuse the substance so he didn't feel anything so in reality different characters being almost robotic kind of made sense but i i feel like they were on a point where they're emotional and they were wooden which meant that neither of them sold so i feel like the direction was just not it wasn't there and when reviewing it i was just got i just got more and more worried uh i went out to sydney comic-con last year before it the film came out and I did a bunch of promotion for them uh, that was like a two or a three person job that I did solo that was an interesting time it was fun but it was very stressful um, yeah do you want to talk to us about that experience so yeah I didn't get I haven't gotten paid for anything that I've done on the film but I didn't want money I wanted the experience so it, that's nothing negative on the company um, and I did get reimbursed for travel and all that. It was in Sydney, so luckily I had family there, so I was able to stay with family. Um, and overall, it was it was a fun experience. Uh, a lot of it was setting up a booth, dressing up in the uh, soldier, the actual combatant uniform, which are the soldiers, and trying to get people to uh, come and watch the film. We had screenings on. We were meant to do an interview with the lead actor, Jackson Gallagher, but... He came super late and everyone left and it was really like, it was pretty stressful. 
it, he kind of approached it like he was this incredible like a plus tier actor but he really isn't and so him coming fashionably late just it just meant that people got bored and left rather than people were like oh you know if you had robert downey jr there's a there's going to be an interview with him or a q a session with him and he comes fashionably 15 minutes late or something people are gonna like hype it up because he's you know that Mm -hmm. good it's that exciting to see him but Mm -hmm. for someone who hasn't really earned that especially in the action genre it just came off more as he was lazy i originally had a feeling like it wasn't going to do greatly around you know my second or third watch because the first times i wasn't focusing on the film i was focusing on the music i was focusing on different cues i had to get um but when I watched it through properly, just at, from like a fan perspective, like, oh, would I watch this? Would I put this on? And not from the, oh, I worked on this. It just, it came off as this bad B-grade sci-fi film. And it, it just didn't have that same impact that I thought it would. And when that started happening, I was like, ah, it's, it's a little problem. It's a little bad. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's quite, it's quite shite. Um. (laughs) I I think the uh, if there's one thing that does redeem it I do think that the martial arts is pretty decent Uh, none of that was done with wires Uh, I thought the uh, direction for all the stunt work was really good Um, I really liked the stunt coordinator and all the stunt guys that worked on it and uh, both stunt guys are very very experienced as well Uh, so they did a lot of really good things but I, I just don't think and we won an award for best stunt, and uh, I can't remember the exact name of the award, but we won oh. something uh, for the best you won martial something. arts. Yeah, but it, you know you can't carry a film off uh, action unless that's like, you know, unless that's why you go to watch it. But even mm, Bruce mm. Lee films, you don't you watch for the stunts action, but there is stunts, still yeah. a story to yeah. back it up. Mm, so Elliot. Give us some of the dirt about the film. Like, just <laughs> give us any of, like, the dirt. Like, who... Oh, don't make him ruin his career before no, he's no. begun. Okay, I'm not going well, I, to... I won't say know. names, but I'm don't happy say to say names. some interesting things that happened. Yes, yes. Tell us the interesting dirt drama that happens. Do not say the names, but just yeah. kind no of... No names. Hit. No names. Just give us what happens. All right, so... I guess the first thing, Ed, this would probably be the most shocking to the film students out there, uh, and you guys as well. The script of the film, and the thing that kind of got me into working on the film, uh, I mean, it was good, it was fine, it required the director to kind of take it in a direction, but the director and um, a lot of the people were rewriting the script, days before we started shooting uh, what they were rewriting. And, uh, of course, that comes with a whole host of problems because it means that the actors can't really engage with the script that much and it's very difficult for them to figure out what the script is, what the characters are without it. Um, But it also meant that one of the key things was that I, because I'd read the script over two years, I was much more familiar with the script than other people were and i was reading through part of the script even though it wasn't my job i was just curious and there were a lot of uncharacteristic things that the main character did um and i had a whole like 
three pages of notes that I took over to the director. And in the beginning, she was kind of like, ah, you know, you're, you're the production assistant and would, would you really know anything about this? And I kind of started going through them and she was like, oh, right, I can see how that is absolutely not in his character to do all these different things. Like there was a moment that got cut out where he was kind of looking at the blood on his, um, on his, uh, the back of his hand, I believe it was, or his wrist. And was looking at it really interested in kind of playing with it. And at that time I was way in the beginning of the script and I was like, well, he would have, he would have been absolutely terrified of black blood at that point. He had no idea what the hell's going on. Um, and so it was just this really weird changing character that kept popping up mm. that I kept being like, I why is he all of a sudden interested in it if the whole mm-hmm. time leading up to it he's just been terrified of what's happening uh, yeah so things like that that just kind of made things odd i guess the other thing was that uh we filmed around nine minutes a day in terms of in film time so it meant that there were barely any uh, we had like maybe three or four runs of each scene or of each like uh, the element we captured but Outside of that, it was, you know, shooting nine minutes a day is insane work to do. Um, mm. uh, for any watchers that don't know, if you take an average film, you're normally shooting around one and a half minutes a day. Uh, maybe two minutes if you're pushing it. Um, because if you think that each shot is, say you have two characters talking to each other, and you have two over-the-shoulder shots, and then you've got a me- like a medium shot of them talking... Those are three separate shots, and you need to take all of those and make sure each individual one is fine. And that could only take up, you know, eight seconds of a of the film. So you know that could be a few hours for eight seconds, or it can be one or two hours for eight seconds, depending on how quickly they get through it. Um, so, you, especially with combat, especially with scientific mumbo jumbo, that's one long take. You really want to give yourself a lot of time to build up to it. And you need to give the actors time to really get into the character and really figure them out as they go as well. And shooting nine minutes a day is just completely insane. That's more than student films would ever shoot. That's crazy. Nine nine minutes a day. Uh, I think I shot like (laughs) three minutes a day. I, yeah. There was a lot of tension in the art department. And there were moments where some of the key figures in the art department would just up and leave. Uh, and they just head off and stop working and then other people had to pick up the pace and pick up what they left off. Uh, that was often me, but hey. Uh, but another thing is that I, I just felt like some of the actors just weren't interested with the script. Uh, David Arquette came, flew down. Uh, he had a sore tooth on the flight, so we went to a dentist. Then he came in. He was with us for like three days and then left. And that was about it. Uh there was no real time for him to get in character. And uh, you know, I worked on the projectors that created the illusion, as good or bad as you think that is, of the um, holograms. And when David Arquette was on, I had to uh, get one of them to look like... Uh, to give off the same light that it normally would, but to have the script up so that he could read the script as they go. Because uh, he hadn't read the script at all on the plane. He hadn't read the script at all... Uh, through any of his time so a lot of it was like all right so you have no idea who the character is you're just coming in doing this and flying off for a paycheck that's just kind of how it felt and it's funny because like uh, he's getting paid I, to do basically minimal work but you're not getting paid anything 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, payment not really yeah. mattering to me, but he, sure, he did some good stuff. He did some, you know, he is an yeah. actor. He's a quite a seasoned actor. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. I'm I'm sure that that can work, but I just feel like it shows a level of kind of disrespect mm, for the material. Definitely. Because I mean, at, at least you want to memorize mm. your lines when you're coming into it, even if it's scientific mumbo jumbo. At least knowing the majority of your lines and being like, okay, there's this specific section I can't quite get because it's all these different chemical names and I just my brain can't connect the dots on them. Sure, I I can understand that, but you know, to come in without really reading the script or engaging with it, you know, it it, it can't look good in, when you start acting it. And I I feel like when you look at it, he's done some great great films. Like uh, if you look at David Arquette's, uh, you know everything he's done, what he's worked on, he's done some good things, but this just was kind of a, a very low point in his uh, ability to act. Mm. All right. So what would your, well, what's your best advice that you could give to like other young people like yourself that are kind of like wanting to like kind of break into the film industry and the television production as well, especially in Australia? Like what, what what's your best advice? What's your best advice to give to like other film students? Well, I would say... I would say all of all of this negativity mm-hmm. aside, um, but yeah, you really want to yeah. do as much as you want, interact with as many people as you possibly can, work on as many films as you can, um, and try to do absolutely everything you can because even if it's a bad film, even if it's you read the script and you're like, all right, this isn't going to really hit off or do well, it's the experience mm-hmm. that matters and it's the connections yeah. that matter. And it's that ability to meet the right person at the right time and talk in the right way and show your passion. Even if the film sucks, even if it doesn't uh, go off as well as as you thought it would, um, even if there's a lot of disconnect between how you thought it was going to go, uh, I feel like in the end, it's all about giving yourself the opportunity to talk to as many people as possible and just doing as much as you can for the experience. A lot of people do things like, say... Uh, writing fan mm-hmm. fictions and there are a lot of yeah. terrible fan fictions mm-hmm. out there but I don't think that that's a negative thing at course, all because writing bad fan fiction means that in the future you could write something yeah. really great uh, and I think that I don't know I personally think that on a slight tangent I don't really like the way that people look at some stuff and I'm happy for people to laugh about bad writing and all that but to really attack mm-hmm. the author from it because I have stuff I've written from when I was 10 yeah. and 11. Uh, I have books then, and they're terrible yeah, books. Yeah, Yeah, they're terrible books. They're not well mm-hmm. written at all. But I was 10 and 11, and I was out writing at that time, and writing, you know, wrote eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000-word books, and short, bad, but it was an experience that not other people, not many other people were willing to take, partially because of if it isn't a good book, then you're a shit author type of mentality, mm-hmm. which I don't think is healthy at all. Mm-hmm. Like in this scenario, yeah. go out and do the film. You don't need to avoid it. And if it's bad, so what? You have this experience, you have this knowledge, and you know how to make it better in the future. So I'd say that's my main advice. Damn, that was good advice. Yeah, and the thing with that is there's a quote that's like, you can't really... A lot of people don't write good stories. They write bad stories and then they make them good. Mm. So there's a lot, like, 
a lot about what you said about first attempts and learning and from your mistakes and making those mistakes. That's really important. Mm. Yeah. I mean, everyone has to make mm, mistakes. Mm. What's really interesting is that the movie starts off with a quote and the quote is by none other but Nietzsche himself. And it's funny that they quote Nietzsche because they're like, that which does not kill us, it makes us stronger. Literally applies to this. Yeah. I mean, the plot of the film uh, is essentially uh, Matt Mills, the main character, is a quadriplegic who um, got injured in prison and ends up uh, joining this strange program where he's injected with a alien substance that makes it so that whenever he... Uh, is hurt he comes back stronger uh, and it takes what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and tries to really push that into the extreme so if your arm gets broken your bones heal back uh, stronger than steel uh, if you're put in a room with zero oxygen your lungs break and come back and uh, is able to get the absolute most out of this low oxygen environment mm-hmm. you know you take light completely out and your eyes will begin to adapt and uh, begin to be able to see in the dark. So this idea of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger was something that really interested me when I was originally Mm -hmm. reading the script. But it's also, yeah, it applies to a lot of these ideas of, you know, you you have this film, you've done this student film, you thought it was great, everyone thought it was terrible, but rather than letting that break you down and stop your creative process, it's going, all right, what did people like? What did people, what didn't people like? Um... What shots did people like? Why didn't people like it? If people didn't like anything, but that's still positive because it means that you can look at what you did and go, okay, why didn't people like it? What about it turns people away? Um, did people, was there like a moment that you tried to time with music that people just thought was sounded off? Why did that sound off? And then begin to work from that and get to a point where you can create a new project or create a new film or a new a podcast or whatever you're doing that tackles those issues and tries to push them and make them a lot more positive and then see what people's responses are if people still love it if people hate it and then begin to slowly change how you approach things from that experience yeah that's that's really helpful now i'm just gonna ask you uh i watched the movie yesterday and i didn't go to the opening night but I kind of know what the plot is, but kind of don't. Like, I know the start, mm. but what is going on at the end? Like, tell us the plot. Like, summarize the plot for us. All right. <laughs> Sequel bait. Sequel bait, baby. You know it. A cliffhanger <laughs> so big that you could probably fall off it <laughs> to your death. Um, and there was a, a sequel in the works for a while. I can't really talk about it more because of NDA shenanigans, but there was stuff in the work. Um... Okay, so if I was to break the film down very quickly, I know most of you guys out there who are watching probably haven't seen it and probably never will. It's completely fine. Um, but essentially, to start off with, uh, Matt Mills uh, is taken into uh, a facility, um, and in this facility, he's given the option where he can either uh, do this experiment and get out of prison, or... Uh, avoid this experiment and just go back to prison and spend the rest of his days there. Uh, After a bit of talking and a bit of you understanding his motives for doing this project, 
he gets injected, suffocated, and popped into prison where he is tortured through multiple means, whether that's keeping him awake for extended periods of time, having people come in and break his bones and punch him to shit and whatnot. Uh, going through all those different... Uh, levels of torture he eventually gets stronger and at a point where they think he's dead he comes back and uh defeats this uh god uh captor who had been uh hitting him and torturing him for so long then he from there goes and moves into a second room and uh, in this room there's food he goes through some more tortures and challenges uh, whilst he's kind of going through these things, you see cuts of the two um, scientists that are running what's called the wheel. Uh, the area where he is is uh, called the wheel, and uh, it's kind of made up of multiple rooms in a circle, and the idea is that people go through the wheel, and as they do, they get stronger, and uh, it's a way to kind of progress someone through their time with this substance. Uh so he goes from one room to another, fighting and defeating different people. You have the uh, scientist, uh, one of them, uh, Dr. Schneider, who is the evil scientist, if you will. And you have um, Alice. Uh, I'm going to say it's Alice. It's been Allison. a long time since Dr. I've Allison? seen or thought of it. Allison. Yeah, I was, I was 90% there. Yeah, Allison... Um, uh, you have Allison, who was the uh, good doctor, and she looks up and finds that there's some sketchy stuff about how Matt Mills, the injury was planned, it was all made so you could come in here and they could test on him, because he has this rare genome, and he has a daughter. Um, throughout his time in the wheel, he sees visions of his daughter, and that's kind of what pushes him on to do well. Um, and as the story progresses, he eventually finishes the wheel, and... They're about to kill him, but at the last minute they don't, and eventually his, uh, the strange black blood that now fills him begins to be siphoned out as they plan to use it to create super soldiers, uh, because it holds the key for other people to get inducted into this what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type of body, uh, and yeah, from there he makes his grand escape and and Allison helps him out uh, they escape together big escape scene uh, they get out and then uh, he's given the option to talk to the directors again Matt Mills after being like well hell no I'm not going to talk to the directors because they tried to kill me and torture me and all that which is understandable mm -hmm. he then left and uh, Allison leaves with him as two companions, and at the very end, you kind of have this Allison looking off into the camera, and the idea is that she's meant to still be on the side of the company, but you don't really know for certain, you know, is she with him? Is this all part of a big experiment? What's going on? That, that type of stuff uh, is uh, part of that big cliffhanger that happens, and then, you know, ideally sequel baiting. I don't even know how they could have done a sequel bait properly, though, because the world is reasonably fleshed out, but it's one of those sci-fi worlds where everything's quite sci-fi. Mm. And for a film that didn't get a huge budget, uh, creating a sci-fi world is... It's very, very tough to do. To sell that idea of 
this is our world, but in the future. Wow, that was a good summary of the plot. I actually, yeah. okay. Um, my, I'll tell you my thoughts and stuff in the film at the end, but how was it mm. playing Dead Body number three and Axel Combatant number four? Oh, a fun fact about Axel Combatant. I'm the one who came up with that name because... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's like axles on a wheel. Yeah, exactly. It's axles on a wheel. (laughs) And uh, they were trying to figure out a name for the fighters because they were just like soldier one and whatnot. And so I was like, hey, what about axle combatant? And then they just looked at me and were like, yes, that's what we're going with. I like that. I came up with... I, can, I like to think I came up with the cool parts of the film. You no. came up with the cool parts. Like, the Axel Combatant is actually a really cool name. <laughs> and the drug. Thank you. The drug name. What's the drug name again? I, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's been a Mon, long time. Mon, you watched it last night. He watched it a year ago. I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe even longer. I, I, I have too many, like... My brain is thinking SCP, and that is something very, very different. That's um, that, that's that's I, the project can, SCP. Yeah, that that's the yeah that's that's a very, very, very different thing. An excellent uh, series of uh, I know creepy pasta esque writing. I, I love mm-hmm. the whole SCP genre. That aside, I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, but uh, what I do remember is that it makes sense from a chemical perspective. Yeah. Um, like if you look if you kind of break the name of the substance down you can actually uh and you kind of look at it from a chemical perspective it makes sense uh because uh what it is is elements of the name refers to a drug that kind of sticks into your hemoglobin so the idea was that uh the reason why your blood goes black is because this uh these nanobots attach themselves into your blood cells Granted, there's like, you know, I did biology in high school. That was my biology knowledge. Uh, but, you know, it made sense from my perspective and everyone else seemed to like it. I changed it from its original mm-hmm. name, which was a chemical that you would, that would attach itself to hair follicles. And I was like, ah, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But how was it playing like an axle combatant or like dead body number three? Um, an axle combat. it was... I didn't do any stunts because uh, I'm not a stunt guy. I'm not qualified to do stunts. Um, so I was just an, an extra body on scene. But it was quite fun for the bit of acting I got to do. Uh, I, I did theatre in high school instead of film. So I had a bit of knowledge in that area. But playing a dead body is actually surprisingly difficult. Because I was, I was on... I was in the frame for around, would have been around 20 seconds, um, 20, 20, 30 seconds. And holding your breath for that long doesn't really sound that difficult, but you have to have the, you have to hit the exact same dead pose each time, which is the first thing. And the second thing is when you get pulled off, you're not just being pulled off and ragdolled out. You actually have to move in a specific way so that you don't bump into the set so that you move in a realistically dead way. Um, but also so that as you're moving around, it makes sense that you'd move that way. Uh, what that really comes down to is a lot of using your core and a lot of like twisting yourself as you're being dragged along so that you don't bump into things. You don't get your foot caught on anything. 
and trying to concentrate on so many different elements and hold your breath is quite difficult then you know being dead and being dragged along and all that uh, having your head kind of move in a way that would make sense for your head to move. All that type of stuff was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun playing that role. I love it. I, the, I reckon Dead Body number three deserved an Oscar. I, I, I'd say so as well. I remember, because you yeah. took a bunch of us to uh, the premiere and we were all just sitting in a row, like, because we knew you would be there, but you didn't tell us which... Uh, combatant you would be so we were all just like guessing and like nudging each yeah. other like, I left him? my acting speak him? for itself <laughs> by acting I was a dead I body of like the middle section of it I think I, I probably had like 30 seconds of screen time max probably actually probably even less like, 5 seconds exactly I'm just that good You're that's all you needed You're to amazing. shine um but how was the opening night? Like, how was the premiere? Because I wasn't there. It was packed. There were a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. But they were all, like, friends and family and whatnot. Uh, so I don't really think that proves anything. And it was packed in a relatively small Australian cinema. So it was nice, though. It was fun. There was an interview at the end, which was an absolute abomination. But oh, outside can of we? That, it was I, fun. I wish I was there for the interview. Like, give us the dirt on the interview. <laughs> That one. It was, was one of the guys was in the Star Wars prequels, wasn't he? The guy, the stunt guys who were there, um, really, really good stunt guys. But they've worked in a whole range of things. Like they were on Ghost in the Shell. They were in different Marvel films. They've been in different action films, sci-fi films. Like um, that one of my friends, uh, who's an amazing stunt guy called Yasushi, he was uh, one of the aliens in the new Alien remake. Wow. Yeah, he's this really small Japanese guy, but you know, incredibly fit, incredibly strong. He has amazing control of his body. And they put him in this tiny alien suit. And he was, if you watch the new Alien film, uh, the small alien that kind of like runs and chases people around, that's him. And, you know, they have a lot of a huge range of experience. Um, the stunt guys and the actors who were there had done a lot of things, but the, just the whole setup of it and who they got to speak... There were, there were people there, but there wasn't really... The person who did the interview had questions planned and whatnot, but I guess the worst thing, the thing that really irked me and the thing that kind of made this so awful was the fact that it was the most staticky, the most reverby uh, experience I've ever had with <laughs> uh, people talking into mics. It oh was brutal. And one of the mics was broken... And so, like, they had to do, like, pass the parcel, but with a microphone, because there was one less microphone than there was people. And if the microphones, the two working ones, were held too close together, uh, then there would be a huge static shock, uh, like, a huge, like, that came out, and they just fuck up all the audio, so it was this thing where they'd have to, like, lean back real far so that it didn't get affected, and... Oh, man, it was... I mean, I, I know the... Cinema is the one who controls all that, and they probably don't do interviews and stuff all that often, but, I mean, it doesn't look good when you're working on a film, and a big part of film is audio. I'd say... I'd say mm, it audio is, very is probably... Important. Yeah, very like important. Like, 60% of a film. Uh, it's super important. Yeah. 
I mean, try to watch a film when the audio is slightly out of sync and you're going to want to, like, jump off a cliff. It is awful. Um, but if you have... Also, if you have a... If you have a... Uh, film that has amazing audio quality and has amazing music, then it's an incredible film. And what happens on screen uh, is really heightened. And even if it isn't great without audio, it's this incredible experience with it. But... To have so many people who are so knowledgeable about audio just completely unable to do checks to make sure that things are working, it's, it just didn't look good for anyone, and it made the interview almost impossible to hear. Um, my uh, Reggie, who's a uh, stunt coordinator, who's a great, great guy, he was one of the people being interviewed, but you couldn't really hear what he was saying because it was impossible to hear that him. That is not cash money. Now, what is your what is your favorite part of the film? Like, do you have a part of the film that you really enjoyed but that you really liked? In terms of uh, my favorite parts of the film, as the film or working on the film, um, just on the film itself, and actually both, both of them. Um, I'd say my favorite part of let, let's just start with the film itself. My favorite part of the film is probably. I'd say there's there's a fight scene where you have uh, two axle com- it kind of leads from these two axle combatants and Matt Mills. Uh, they have these two electric prodders uh, going at him. Uh, that fight concludes, and there's this dramatic like smoke flowing across, and you have the three other combatants come in. There's this big fight between everyone. Yeah, you know, I I thought that was a really really good. Um, that was really good choreography on that uh, fight scene, and it was actually really in person. There was a lot of stuff like it was really physical, and um, Jackson Gallagher's stunt double really pushed to sell that fight, and I thought it came out really nicely. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that yeah, I'd say that that's probably my favorite part of the film. Favorite part working uh, on the film. Favorite part of working on the film. I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, it's definitely the people I met on the film. Aww. Uh, That's adorable. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds cheesy, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I worked, you know, I would start work at 6 in the morning and i finish work at, like, 8 at night. Uh, no, I'd get up at, like, 5 every morning to make sure I got there on time. I, I did all the, I, you mm. know, I, I put a lot of time and effort into it, and the people who were there were really appreciative for what I did, um especially seeing as I was in control of the internet because the person who set the internet internet plan up did an awful job where you had an entire film studio that could only download five gigabytes of data. It was painful. So, yeah, I had to go and call up this for like three hours, four hours, six hours. It was filmed... It was filmed in Dockland Studios, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Dockland Studios mm-hmm. is actually a really nice place. Um mm. A lot, a lot of films, are, uh, a lot of stuffs filmed there. Filmed there. Uh, we were filming at the same time that, uh, what's it? I think it was called Winston. Uh, it was a, uh, it was an old American, uh, like cowboy gunslingy film. So we'd be having a lunch <laughs> break and just hear these guns going off, and we're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's our neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Let's let's talk about the film because I watched it for the first time yesterday and here's my thoughts about it. It's not that bad. 
I enjoyed it. It's I not actually bad. enjoyed some of it. Like, I actually quite liked some parts of the film. I loved, okay, I'm saying this. I quite like the holograms. I actually, I didn't know that you did the holograms. And I was watching, I was like, this, the holograms are actually well, pretty good. I actually quite like the graphics. I didn't, I didn't make the graphics, but I was the one who kind of used the, pro- uh, set the projectors up. But the person who made the graphics did a really good job, especially considering he had, he was making the graphics like a few hours before the graphics were used. Wow. Amazing. It was very fast turnover. Yeah, but like I, I actually thought it was really good. Like in some aspects, like obviously the acting mm. was quite shit, especially Jackson Gallagher. Like what? Like his accent was changed from Australian to American. I didn't know what he was doing. I was like, it's better if he just doesn't talk. Um, All right, I'm not gonna. Yeah, but it, I actually genuinely quite liked the film. And the, you know what? The cliffhanger. I thought it worked. I thought it was quite interesting. I was like, oh my god, that's crazy. I hope there's no sequel. But like that's crazy. Um. But yeah, like I actually genuinely like some parts of the film. Like obviously some parts of the film weren't that great. Like David Arquette, I did not like him. Um, didn't like his character. Uh, I, I, you know, I just, just, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Everybody was saying it was so shit. I'm like, this isn't the most horrible thing I've seen. So great job, Elliot. I think if you, if you look at it from the perspective of like a, a cheesy B grade mm-hmm, That's what I was film, looking at. I, I, I think it, it works. If you look at it and you're like, all right, so I just watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, then I watched the original Alien film, and now I'm watching uh, The Wheel, mm-hmm. and you're, uh, you're like, you know, sci-fi needs to be that good or it's no. shit, then it's going to be a shit film. Yeah. But if you look at it like, ah, oh, I kind of want just a fun action sci-fi B-grade film, then it's a very, no, it's not bad uh, and that's how that that's why I didn't really. In the end, I don't dislike the film. I don't think it's a good film by any mm-hmm. means. I think from a critical perspective, it gets a lot wrong, but it gets a few things yeah. right. But I think in the end, uh, for me especially, I very much like things to be enjoyable. And if it's not enjoyable, then I don't like yeah. them. But I just think it's it's an enjoyable film yeah. to watch, whether you want to be critical with it. Yeah, or I not. wasn't being critical at all. I was just going in expecting like. It to be a B grade movie, and I was like, and I was like, this isn't that bad, you guys. Like, I'm actually like, th- I've seen worse. Like, this is great. Like, this is good in some aspects. Like, the graphics look good. It isn't that cheap. Like, people worked hard on this, and I can tell. Um, but also the the props. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. Like, some of the guns and some of the like props and stuff. Like, it looks really fake. But I was like, I don't care. It's a B movie for me. Like, I just want to watch people get killed. I just want. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 great. Um, yeah, it's it's a great B movie. Wrong episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I I think yeah overall it's a fine film for what it is there are mm-hmm. a lot of issues with it a lot of positive a lot of negatives but as long as you enjoy it i think that's all that should really matter of course if i were to say hey put a star grade like out of five out of ten like gun to your head letterbox <laughs> review i mean you probably put it like a out of five stars you probably put it like two two and a half i'm guessing maybe three mm. I give it a two. I just gave it a two, but I, you know what? I've seen worse. Yeah, that's what Mon gave it. She gave it a two. I think I gave it a one and a half, and I might have been too harsh on it. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, from a super critical perspective, the more you look at it, the more you, like, try to break it down, the more you're like, ah, oh, the director had didn't have a good vision, you know, the acting wasn't great, the uh, slow motion didn't really... It added to the combat, but didn't really, like, make the combat. The sound effects weren't this incredible folly work, you know. You look at everything you like as... It's a B-grade. It depends how critical you want to be of it. Like, you can have that intensely critical view of it, or you can just sit there and have fun with a movie. That's what I did, and and then after after I watched that movie, I watched um, New York's Synecdoche by Charlie Kaufman after, and I had an existing... Synecdoche, New York. Jewish, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I watched... <laughs> we spent like five minutes with Khan trying I forgot. to learn how Anyways, to pronounce I'm it. Anyways, I'm Yes. So I watched Synecdoche, New York, right? And I love the film. I had an existential crisis and I am afraid to die. But I really enjoyed... I, I thought the wheel wasn't that bad, you guys. Maybe my taste in film has gotten... My taste in film is... Oh, it's, it's pristine. It's perfect. Now, I, I feel like the people who are, like, watching... Some of the reviews that are, like, watching paint dry is more enjoyable. As you, get, you have your own opinions and all that. I'm not about to shit on someone for not liking a film. Uh, especially because I am fairly critical on it. Especially looking back on it. But I, I think that a destructive review never really helps anyone and i feel like the people who did enjoy it for what it was which is a silly b-grade film there are a couple reviews out there which are like you know three four out of ten uh you know it's a fun b-grade film there are some of them but overall i think it's not a bad film for what it is and for what it does it's a bad film depending on what you think it should be exactly and I think we're just going to wrap this up now. So thank mm. you. Thank you so much. Thank you for thank having you, me. Elliot. Thank you for your insights. This has been very mm-hmm. interesting indeed. Yeah, this has been awesome. I know. Like, this is, this is actually really fun because, like, we've never done, like, we've never really had a guest before. And it's really good to have, like, a friend and a guest on our podcast to really talk about their experience, like, being on a film set. Because all we do is just academically critically and analyze film we take things apart and all of that (laughs) but i really enjoy talking to you about it especially your experience elliot thank you and until then, you can find us on Facebook at As a Film Student Podcast, Instagram at As Film Student Pod, or you can see our primo shit posting on Twitter at As Film Student. And you can get our film reviews on Letterboxd at As Film Student. All the links will be in the description as always. And until next time, I've been Nick. And I've been Mon. And I've been Elliot. <laughs>